I mentioned. We are examining with the Lord's gracious help verses 25 and 26. 25 and 26, which we will read again together. Having understood something of the context of, of the rebellion of, of Jacob, of Israel, of God's people, that points to, that points to the church of today also. And we see all the gifts that they were bringing to false gods. God had never asked for sweet cane with money, but that's what they were giving. That's what the idol worshippers still give today. But we hear then in verse 25, the grace and the mercy of God towards his own people, where he says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will not remember thy sins. Put me in remembrance, let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Amen. It is upon this uh, Remembrance Day, this Remembrance Sunday, that we're considering something of God's willingness not to remember. His willingness in the gospel and through Jesus Christ to put into forgetfulness that which is an offense against him. And as we're going to open up uh, these two verses with the Lord's uh, gracious help, we will be brought back to something that we have been considering of, over the last number of weeks since Reformation remembrance, and that was justification. How can a sinner be made righteous before God? In and of himself, we cannot. A, a sinner means that we are unrighteous. We sin because of our unrighteous nature, because of our sinful nature. And yet the Lord declares in and through the gospel and through the work of Jesus Christ that sinners can be made righteous in his sight. And so this time, as again, we're looking at a different aspect of justification. We've already seen that justification is by faith alone, trusting in the work and the person of Jesus Christ. We saw also last time that justification is imputed to us. It's, it's put into our account. It's put into our name. It's not ours, but it is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is put to our name. As he has taken away our sins, as he has taken away our guilt, he gives us his righteousness legally. He gives it to us. He pays our debts. He pays for our crimes. And he gives us his righteousness to cover us. So that was the imputation of, of righteousness. And, and this time, we're considering the very first fruits of righteousness given to the repentant sim, sinner. And that is the forgiveness of their sins. And our text reveals the fullness of that forgiveness in, in a number of precious ways this morning. Now, the language of this text, if we were going to open up and go deeper into what the Hebrew uh, would say, uh, there are many words here that are translated into easier English, but they are actually um, legal terms in Hebrew and really would bring the, the natural-born Hebrew reader uh, to consider this is a courtroom, that there are aspects of a judge uh, examining information, uh, listening to testimony and passing sentence. 
We don't see all of that, and we're not going to dive deep into that uh, this morning, but we do understand this much, that we have the work of a judge that speaks and says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will not remember thy sins. But here, more especially the judge speaking, put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. And so I've mentioned once or twice already, just now, that justification, being made righteous in God's sight, is a legal matter. That God legally uh, gives that righteousness to those that come and receive the payment. If you have a great fine before a judge, if you have thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in fines, or you have many years of payment in prison, but then someone comes and gives that, that payment, they, they pay that payment legally, the judge can then say, well, all payment has been given, all, all, all fines have been paid, nothing else needs to be given, not even term in prison. It is a legal righteousness given, imputed to all that believe on Jesus Christ. And so when the judge hears the crimes... He examines the crimes, but then he hears that payment has been made. And not just any old payment, but full payment. That judge can then acquit, he can forgive, and he can forget. And thereby, and thereby declare you as justified in his sight. And hence the title of the message, is, as the Lord is pleased to help us, is justification. And I think of a colon. Sins forgiven and forgotten. Justification is sins forgiven and forgotten. And so as we open up verse 25 of Isaiah uh, chapter 43, we see that the Lord draws our attention immediately to himself, and to his goodness, and to his mercy. And we see then, as we're going to imagine, uh, we're going to examine those, we see God's sovereign grace at work. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Where do we understand then that, uh, that God's sovereign grace in forgiving sins is to be found? Well, in two things. Firstly, God can forgive by his own authority. God can forgive by his own authority. But that's what the Lord says when we read those first few verse, words in verse 25. I, even I, am he. Drawing our attention to him that it is he and only he. Even the triune Jehovah. We see something of the Trinity even expressed there that the Lord says, I, even I, am he. But we're not going to go into the depths of uh, Trinitarian doctrine today. But it is only he, that is Jehovah, the triune Jehovah, that has the authority, that has the ability to forgive sins. Even the Pharisees understood this. That when the Lord Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 2 forgave the sins. And then they replied in verse 7 of Mark 2. They say, why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive, God, give, forgive sins but God only? that they understood that it is only of God and for God to be able to forgive sins. And why is that? 
Well, because God is the holy lawgiver and he is the righteous judge. He gives the law and then he judges those righteously who would break that holy law. And the law, as we understand, is good, it is holy, it is righteous. And so if we think that every time you think a sin, you desire a sin, and you speak a sin, you, you do a sin, that you commit sin, or there are things and duties that you should do, but you do not do them, and now we call those also sin, the sins of omission, that it is an offense against the lawgiver, against the good and gracious and kind lawgiver. And he will then, as it were, put his judge hat on and will judge and punish every transgression of the law. That is a definition of sin. Trans, uh, sin is transgression of the law. And when I say the law, I'm speaking of God's holy moral law, the Ten Commandments and all its applications in life. We also know that everything that is not of faith is sin. So it means that everything that everybody does who does not have saving faith in Jesus Christ, everything that they do, even though we might look at it and judge it and think, oh, that, that's, that's good and that's helpful, but the Lord says it's done outside of faith in my son. It is all sin. It comes forth from a sin nature. It is done outside of faith in Jesus. And so, therefore, we understand that all sin and every sin, and even when we sin against each other, that, it, that all sin is ultimately committed against God, and this God will not ignore sin. He is long-suffering towards sinners, looking that they would repent and that they would come back to Him, but all sin is against Him, and He will deal with all sin. And he has the authority as the lawgiver and as the lawgiver who is also the judge and he's also the creator so he owns all that which he has created and given the moral law to those made in the image of God and therefore those that break the law and mar his image, he has the authority to deal with, to condemn, to judge and to punish but where righteous payment is made also to forgive also to forgive. So the Lord can forgive and judge by his own authority, but he would also do so, as we see in our verse, for his own glory. That's the basis why he will, he will do it. The only reason why he is able to forgive is because God finds a reason within himself to forgive, not in you and me. There's nothing in us that would, that would cause God to be merciful or gracious to us. Well, grace is freely given anyway, so it's never based upon us. But why would God be merciful? Because, as I said, he finds that reason within himself. And that's what verse 25 says. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, for mine own glory's sake. I find, I find reason, I find, I find something within me to blot out your sin for mine own sake. How, how is that? Well, God is able to forgive for Christ's sake because of what Christ, the, the eternal Son of God, who is God, for the sake of Christ, God is able to forgive. 
because it is Christ who has come and paid for sin. It's Christ who has come to earth, taken on human uh, flesh and a soul, and has gone to that cross and has sacrificed himself so that God can forgive all the sins of all them that come to him through Jesus. God finds it within himself, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God gave God. The Father gave the Son to be the payment, to be the wrath-removing sacrifice, the propitiation of our sins, to forgive the sins of all that come to him through Christ. That's what John the Apostle writes in his first epistle, chapter 2 and verse 12. He says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. And not just for the, the name of Jesus, the name of the Son of God, but it is to the glory of the triune God that he will forgive sins, that I, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, for my name's sake, for my son's sake, for the sacrifice's sake, and for my glory's sake, that he would receive all the glory. A sinner should not boast should not be arrogant, and yet sinners are boastful and arrogant about their own sin. The only boasting that we're allowed to do as Christians, although Christians boast all the time, but the only boasting that we're allowed to do is to boast in the Lord, to boast in the gospel of Christ, to boast in the glory, give Him all the glory. The flesh doesn't want it, the flesh steals God's glory. But God blots out sin for his own glory. And it is a glorious truth. And he will not remember thy sins, he says. And it is God who has determined this. It's God who, who planned the gospel. It's God who carried out the gospel. It's God who applies the gospel and saves sinners from themselves for his glory's sake. And so what can we say? But it is God's sovereign grace to be found at work in justifying the unjust, in justifying the unjust. So God's sovereign grace we've looked at briefly. Now, more so when we consider God's justifying blood. God's justifying blood, for we see in verse 25 still, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will not remember thy sins. We see firstly then, the blood that blots. The blood that blots. When we might consider the blotting out of a line of text, I'll be taking some of you back to school days. I'll be taking some of you back to history because you've never had a real fountain pen at school. Uh, or even taking you way back into the Middle Ages or even into ancient times when writing was done with real ink on a real piece of papyrus or on manuscript uh, or on parchment, which is um, vellum or the, the skins of animals were used, all sorts of things that could be used 
uh, for writing materials. And, and those writing materials, and we're not thinking of bark or anything like that, but those writing materials that could be used as records, either by the king or by, by a banker or, or by somebody in, in some sort of authority that, 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 that accounts could be written down, debts could be written down and paid off. And once they're paid off, they would be removed. And how was that removed? Well, when you think of parchment and you think of old, old manuscripts of, of, the, of the scriptures, then we see that, that, that it was scraped off with a knife. If there was a mistake made, they would scrape it off in, 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 the, uh, in the biblical manuscripts. But if we're taking, talking about a, an account book belonging to the king uh, and a payment was made, Again, that could be scraped off. It'd be scraped off. It was no longer there. There was one way of getting rid of it. But there's another way is to blot it, to blot it out. And that, that's a way of removing it as well. You can blot it out. You can maybe wash it. You can wash it with some water. But when we get to paper and when we get to, uh, uh, to thinner media, uh, water damages them. We know that water damages the paper. And so you don't want to break through the book. You don't want water washing away the ink. So the easy, uh, washing away the rest of the ink or washing away the numbers just below or just above the line that you're wanting to remove. So blotting is done more so with the covering of the text, of blotting it out by ink. You might remember if you were ever at school and you learned to use a fountain pen that you would accidentally blot your copy as you were writing and, and, and maybe you were a little bit too rough with the nib and then it, it sort of spat out ink all over the page and you accidentally blotted over your text. We're not talking about accidental blotting, but we're talking about the same idea. The text is covered. It's covered. It's a crossing through or it's a, it's a blotting over with the ink so that the amount that was owed, that the debt that was made, that the punishment that was written down in your name is now no longer visible. And it's that last image that we need to hold on to when we're considering the words here that I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions. And the imagery of the books of crimes, of our crimes that are opened for examination by the judge of all the earth is what we're really considering here. And then we should be reminded then that the heavenly judge, our God and our creator, he knows all things. And then the idea with the books is then that he sees all things and he records all things in detail. Line upon line, sin upon sin, everything you've desired, thought, spoken, and done are written in the books of God. And we know that from Revelation. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12 says this. And this is John, the apostle, towards the end of that great prophecy, saying what he sees on the judgment day. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. But when God opens your books, the records of what you've done in life, things you've said and desired, what will he find? Pages and pages of detailed records of those things, those moral and those spiritual and those physical crimes against him. Is that what the Lord will see? Yes, that is what the Lord will see. The question is, would he be able to read them? 
Will he be able to read your crimes? Because if he can read them, he must judge them and he must punish you because they've never been covered over. They've never been blotted out. If the Lord can see them. Or will the work of Christ and will the blood of Christ have covered and blotted every word on every line and on every page? Are your sins under the blood? Are you under the blood? Has Christ's blood blotted out your every sin? And that's what the Apostle Paul writes about that blood of Christ in Colossians 2 and verse 14. He says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which, were con- which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So as it were, the Lord took away all the books of all his people, nailing them to the cross with himself and pouring his blood all over them. Thank God that there is a blood that blots, that blots out all our wickednesses and our sins and our self-righteousnesses. The blood that blots is also, secondly, the blood that allows. The blood that allows. What does it allow? Well, it allows God to forget. It allows divine forgetfulness, shall we say. It's one of the glorious truths about Christ's sinless blood. Not only does it blot out our sins from God's books, as it were, but it also, as it were, blots out God's memory as regarding our sins. Well, that's because, a number of things, because Christ's blood is divine blood. Hence the, 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 the title of this, of this point uh, was God's justifying blood. And you might say, well, God doesn't have blood. God is a spirit. That's true. That's very true. And yet even the Apostle Paul, when he speaks to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20 and verse 28, he says this, he says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. And so when we come to, to try to understand the difference between uh, Jesus' divinity and Jesus' humanity, uh, the, the union between the two is so close that even Paul can say that God has purchased the church with his blood. It's divine blood. And of course, when we say that, we, we're only speaking an image that we would understand. Because God, of course, cannot ever suffer from actual forgetfulness. There is no forgetfulness by God. What this, really choose, what this really points to is that God chooses no longer to remember those things. He chooses no longer to remember your sins when they are covered with the blood of Christ. And God is so righteous. God is so righteous in, in dealing with his people. God will not allow double jeopardy. If you know what double jeopardy is... Double jeopardy is this, is that say that you've committed a crime and you've, you, you've, you've spent 10 years in prison, you've done your prison sentence, you come out, the policeman cannot come up to you again and arrest you for that self-same crime, bring you to the judge and give you another 10 years. You can't pay for the same crime twice. In most jurisdictions, that's forbidden and it's called double jeopardy. You cannot be charged and punished for the same crime twice. If it's been dealt with, it's been dealt with. 
And that is also at the heart of justification. If Christ's blood has paid for your sin and it has blotted out your sin, then God must cease to think on it. He must cease to remember it. And there is no other blood that exists that has that effect upon God. And all to do with the sacrifice, all to do with the pleasing smell that comes before the Lord of sins being covered, sins being blotted out. And so this is then the, the personal application when we consider this Christian, is if God no longer thinks on your sins, why do you still bemoan your past errors and sins? It's one thing to be reminded of a sin and, and, and to be ashamed of it for, for a second and then praise God for the blotting blood. But there's another to go through your Christian walk still thinking about those terrible crimes that you once did and bemoaning them and, and, and having pain over them when you should realize that they are, if you, have, if you are in Christ, if you are, have repented of your sins, if the blood has blotted out your iniquities, and God has forgotten them, why do you remember them still? Which leads to another application. Believe that if God has blotted out all of your sins and has chosen not to remember them, why do you remember other people's sins? Why do you keep hold of other people's errors, mistakes, and sins? If God has so freely, by the blood of his Son, blotted out your every sin, surely, and it is the duty of every believer to blot out the sins of others. If he has forgiven you, then we must forgive those that sin against us. And that doctrine is repeated throughout Scripture. It's emphasized in the New Testament. In truth, of course, the books that we've mentioned and the, the memory of God all point to God's memory. It's just a picture of blotting. It's a picture of forgetting. But it is to do with this, that the blood that blots allows God to forget your iniquities and your transgressions and your sins. Absolutely. The book, the books of your sins are blotted. They are soaked in the blood of the Lamb. And so where the blood has made full payment for sin, what does that mean? Every sin covered. It means that there is no wrath. God cannot look upon your books. He can't look upon you. He can't be reminded of your, of your own wickednesses and your failings when he sees the blood. And when he sees the blood, there is peace. Peace between you and God. He can't see the sins. The sins do not cry out for justice. God cannot hear the sins because they're covered in the blood. The payment has been made. The punishment has been taken. Everything that would be against you has been removed by Jesus Christ and by his blood. An abundant and very acceptable payment for sin. I trust that you can say this morning that that payment for sin is, is my payment for sins. Because there is nothing that you can do to pay for sins. A sinner cannot pay for sin. A sinner is unrighteous, and any payment is self-righteous. But God 
has given Jesus the holy and blemish-free Lamb of God as a payment. And not only has he blotted them out, but the Word of God emphasizes even further that the forgetfulness of God regarding the sins of those whose sins are covered by the blood of Christ is just removed far from his remembrance. And we know this when we sit at the Lord's table, we read from Psalm 103, and verse 12 has that glorious truth in it. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Now, the east and the west. So we have the east going out in that direction, and we have the west going out in that direction. And they will just continue, just in a, in a straight line. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. So active is God in his righteousness in the removing not only of our sin, but any remembrance of our sin, that he may declare us righteous in his sight. Because that blood that blots and the blood that allows God to forget is the blood that justifies says, I, even I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not and will not remember thy sins. So that full and free forgiveness of sin is, is, is gloriously coupled with God's conscious forgetting of our sins. And because all unrighteousness is now removed from our account, it's removed from God's memory we may stand as righteous before God. All unrighteousness is gone. The righteous blood has been poured upon it. There is no unrighteousness for God to see. And therefore we may stand legally righteous before him. Nothing will be found in God's memory against us. Nothing will be found in us against him. His memory of our sins, as I said, is covered in the blood and our sins and our persons are also covered under the blood. And that's why, this being the case, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are declared absolutely righteous because of his blood. And Paul says that in Romans 5 and verse 9. He says, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. What does righteous mean? As we considered in the, in the introduction, unrighteous is the expression of those that sin. A sinner is unrighteous and unholy. But now we have a complete change, 180 degrees uh, change within the sinner that comes to God in Christ. It means that God declares you to be righteous. That is, he declares you to be holy. He declares you to be sinless, legally. God knows that you're still in your old flesh. Yeah, the, the, the soul, he's birthed again by the Spirit and for Christ's sake. But now this flesh, yes, the flesh is still against us. But that blood and that covering of blood, the righteousness of Christ, uh, protects us still. But that's another matter we've looked at already. But it's amazing to consider this believer, that through calling upon the name of the Lord, Maybe not understanding most of what justification is, but knowing that you are guilty before God, 
that you have the need of God. In fact, that's what the, the, the following verse speaks of, which we will examine this evening with the Lord's help. But just to understand that having come to Christ, having done nothing in and of ourselves, but looking to the person and the work of Jesus Christ, doing what the gospel commands, may not even understanding all about who Jesus is, understanding that he is the God-man, maybe not even understanding an awful lot about the, the need to be forgiven, but just knowing this in your heart of hearts and in your conscience, as, as, the, as the Holy Spirit has convicted you, as he has opened your eyes, he's enlightened your eyes to your need for your sins to be removed from you, that you have obeyed the gospel call, you have repented, and you have believed. And in that moment, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, he forgives you freely of all of your sins and your unrighteousnesses. And says, this is my adopted child, holy and sinless. And all the other sins that the believer then does, the true believer then does throughout his life, are still covered under the, sin, the blood of Christ. So the father can still say, although child, you've sinned, you've been stubborn, you've been backslidden. The blood has never lost its power to continue to speak better things than that of Abel's. So that you are constantly righteous before God. Sinless, holy. And what a joy that is to know, believer. That in the weakness and the foolishness of your existence, that the Lord can say that you are righteous in my sight. And that's how the judge of all the earth looks upon all of his people. Legally sinless. Legally holy. And although we still sin, it is that blood that still covers. Are you under that blood? Are you under the blood? And you may think, oh, I don't even know what that expression means. It means this. Do you believe on Jesus as payment for sin? His death, his perfect life, and that perfect death upon the cross. And that blood that he shed, and his life blood that was poured out unto death. Is the suffering and death of Christ, is that sufficient for the forgiveness of your sins? The answer is yes. Then come to God in the name of Christ. Call upon him. Say, Lord, I want that forgiveness. Oh God, in the name of Jesus, I pray, give me that sweet forgiveness of all my sins. I repent. I don't want to be guilty anymore. I don't want to be worthy of punishment anymore. And the blood of Jesus Christ shall cleanse you from all sin. We'll close with a, a quote from Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah 31 and 34 says, And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Oh, how sweet to know that our God and Savior says, I will remember your sin no more. What, what peace must that bring to your conscience? To the believer that has a sensitive conscience, some have a less sensitive conscience than others. And that can be a good thing or a bad thing. 
but to know that for Christ's sake, uh, God says, I will remember your sin no more. And as I mentioned in an application just now, the onus, the burden, the duty is upon all those who have had their sins forgiven to freely forgive other people's sins. It says in Matthew 7, if you don't, that's an indication that your own sins are not forgiven. But even so, let us be as gentle and soft and tender-hearted towards others as God has been to us for Christ's sake and has forgiven us all our many sins. God willing, we'll look at verse 26 uh, this evening and see how that completes the message of God to our hearts uh, this day. And may the Lord bless that word to us and let us close our preaching in prayer, please. We do thank Thee, our God, that unlike many false Christianities and false religions, that there is a a helping hand to do the right thing. But Lord, Thou knowest that we cannot do the right thing. One sin makes us unrighteous. One sin caused the fall of mankind. One sin makes us a sinner, unrighteous and unclean. But, O Lord, we do thank Thee for the blood of Jesus, that it covers our every sin, and that therefore we may may stand righteous in Thy sight. And, Lord, that Thou dost not use those sins against us, for Thou hast freely and fully forgiven everyone. Give us also such a heart to freely forgive those that sin against us. As the Lord's prayer teaches, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. O Lord, bless Thy word unto us this day and grant our souls and our consciences and our very thoughts that sweet and tender peace that we have with God if we are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we pray in his glorious name, Father. Amen. Let us uh, open up our hymn books to hymn 502. Hymn 502, Unto the hills around do I lift up my longing eyes. Oh, whence for me shall my salvation come? From whence arise? It comes from God the Lord, who doth my come my certain aid. From God the Lord, who heaven and earth hath made. Let us stand to sing hymn 502, please. <laughs>